Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. You know, finding a service solution that keeps your customers happy can feel impossible. Like trying to remember the name of that guy you literally just met at that networking event. And HubSpot Service Hub can help. So with the service solution part, at least it makes it easy. It brings service and success together on one powerful platform. With an AI-powered help desk and a chatbot to handle your frontline tickets so you could scale support and drive retention and revenue. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. Basically, I had nothing to do. I was just going out drinking with my friends all the time, <laughs> like almost like five days a week. We had the system sending us stats like at noon and at midnight. $10,000, $15,000. On a good day, like 20 something thousand dollars. Okay. And is it recording? Okay. Okay, so what is this? So something that entertains me. And so I wanted to create a podcast, which was first and foremost, just an excuse to hang out with people who I haven't been able to hang out with as much. So uh, one way is to say, hey, let's go grab a coffee. And the other way is to say, what if we recorded this so that other people could be a fly on the wall mm -hmm. and hear stories or chatter about yeah. random stuff. And I'm not trying to do it educationally. So yeah. for me, it's uh, stories. So right. stories is the part where, so the podcast is called My First Million. And the reason I picked that is because the audience that listens to this, they are, you know, entrepreneurs already or entrepreneurs kind of thinking about, hey, you know, it'd be, that's the dream. I'd love to sort of quit my job and start a business someday. Yeah. And I remember for me, and I think this applies to many people, which is, the idea of a million bucks is like a magic number. Even today when everyone's yeah. a billionaire, still, yeah. If, yeah. You, if you're a thousandaire, yeah. a million bucks sounds like all the money. Totally understand. And so, In fact, when I made my first million, I put it all in one account and I went to the ATM. <laughs> Just to look at it? <laughs> yeah. And, and, I, and I withdrew money so I would have a slip of paper that said I had a million dollars. You framed that? What did you do with the slip? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is like, then we had all these jokes because I had these ATM slips with a million dollars on it and um, we were just joking around. Around. We're like, man, we should like keep these in our wallet, and then like when you give a girl your phone number, she's like, oh, uh, casually, yeah, like uh, let me let me write it down. Let me write it. this is before everyone had phones. Right? Like, oh, let me write it down on a slip of paper. Oh, I have one. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Never actually did it, but it was a funny, it was it was a funny idea. And actually, it turned. out, I remember like then I was I was searched googling the idea. And like there were companies I remember that sold fake ATM slips online. Oh wow! <laughs> so I wasn't the so, first so you weren't the first guy yeah. thinking about doing this. That's it's a whole good. new industry. <laughs> um, yeah. So so basically, uh, it's called my first million. Uh, I'm talking yeah. to people about how they made a million bucks in okay. all different ways. So yeah. some people are tech entrepreneurs who mm -hmm. start a business. Some people made a million bucks um, selling mushrooms and they're mushroom farmers. Awesome. Someone's did it in crypto, CBD, mm -hmm. you know, all the different uh, types of things, real estate. And so I want to tell stories so that the listeners basically hear, man, first, there's a million ways to success. You don't have to follow a particular track. Right. And B, um, just a little bit of inspiration and entertainment about how, you know, these stories tend to be really interesting. They kind of come out of nowhere. It wasn't a perfect plan. Uh, it wasn't a straight line. It usually has right. ups and downs. Right. And, and so I want to tell those stories. You know, like in, in Harvard Business School, they have these HBS cases. Right. And everything everything in those cases is like, oh, you know, Sean was looking out the window at the Charles River thinking about <laughs> what was what he was going to do for his company. <clears throat> and the solution is always like, they give you all this data. And then at the end, like, it's like, oh, he did this and this and this and this and this. And then he did that and that and that and that. It's like, oh, look how, like how 
like it's everything's like the solution was like a neat package right and in reality you like you know like the guy wasn't you know he was not sleeping and like he probably did 20 million things before he did what he actually ended up doing or she whatever but you know it's, it's funny because like it's it's always like that but it's reality is never like that you know what i mean so exactly nice. and so i'll give the brief intro so we have james hong on the show um entrepreneur started uh, famously a company called hot or not uh one of the first um, tremendously viral product before viral was really even a thing, I would say. And now angel investor, all around good guy. I'm excited to be talking to you. Last time I talked to you was like five years ago. And yeah, so, a long time ago. So it's good to good to reconnect. And so I always start with, you know, uh, not kind of how'd you do it, but a different sort of question, which is really, did you always want to make a million bucks? Like when you were growing up, did you want to be rich? Was that a goal of yours? Uh. <sighs> Not necessarily. I wasn't really like, oh, I have to be rich. I, my mom tells me that I drew, I kind of remember this, in third grade I drew her a picture of my house, and it was, I just remember it was on the waterfront, and it had like two helicopter landing pads. <laughs> and so maybe, maybe I did, but by the time I grew up, by the time I went through college, I, was, uh, I wasn't really like, I need to be rich. Uh, but I did want to do something, you know what I mean? Like, uh, I didn't want to be bored. The thing I learned at my first job, which was at, Hewlett Packard. I remember it's when the web first came out, and uh, I was doing basically sales support uh, for a technical product. And I created a website because I was tired of all these people calling me with the same questions. <laughs> I basically eliminated my job and the job of two other people, my coworkers. Uh, we all got deployed onto other things. But I remember thinking, like, they gave me a bonus of like, you know, they raised, they gave me a raise of like five grand or something like that. And I'm like, I just eliminated like you know <laughs> three jobs that was probably like you know back then like a couple hundred grand or something right. like that and I got five grand and I just remember thinking like I'll never make as much money as the value I deliver in a company because a company a big company at least has to kind of pay people based on kind of like the median value that any given person at the company will provide right right I think that's kind of the one thing that's changed a little bit like at Google and at Facebook is that they're now willing to be like oh wow like you created like hundreds of millions of dollars in value. Maybe they don't maybe they still don't give you a couple hundred million, but they'll be like we'll give you 10 million. Right. So at least maybe maybe it's not that different today except that things operate at a higher scale and that they're able to because the margin is so high. But in any case, I was like, you know, screw that. Like I'm I'm going to go <laughs> work for myself because then I can actually extract, you know, what I actually Yeah, created, most, most you know? people don't see that. So if you're at a company and this is not because companies are evil. This is really just the standard way you have to operate. You can't if somebody's ten times more productive, ten times better than their peers, you can't pay them ten times as much it's, usually. Yeah, that's exactly the point. People make straight up more money <laughs> at these big companies than they would being fairly successful as an entrepreneur, you know, hitting a double or hitting a triple uh, even, you know. Right. So And I mean, that's like, because the scale of these companies is Yeah, because the now. scale hitting, and the margin trillion dollar companies. The margin is high. Right. That's really the difference. So and so um, you, you were – was it straight out of college that you were at Hewlett-Packard? Uh, that was it? straight out of college. So I was like, forget it. Because uh, in the meantime, you know, the funny thing that happened is this is 90 – I got out of college in 95. And where did you go to school? Just so I people... went to Berkeley. Okay. Uh, and did engineering, electrical engineering, computer science degree. And the funny thing is like, you know, in 94, I remember summer of 94, that's when Mosaic came out, the first web browser. You know, coming out of Berkeley, everyone who got good grades went to grad school or, you know, at worst got a – got the good jobs, which the good job was like going to Intel or HP or whatever. Right. And I went to HP. And meanwhile, our friends who were not as strong students, 
uh, who couldn't get into grad, a good grad school, who couldn't get a job at HP, they ended up taking jobs at uh, other places that we'd never heard of, like eBay and Yahoo or whatever. <laughs> so like around, ni- around 96 or 97, maybe 96, whenever Yahoo went public, all these friends got rich. And that's kind of like when you realized that like, oh, like... Game should I be playing? <laughs> exactly. Right? Did I win? Because well, cause cause, it feels you know, like, like I lost. <laughs> when you're when you're at a you know when you come straight out of school, you're still thinking, oh, whoever gets the best grades, whoever works the hardest, blah blah blah, right. deserves the you know the big prize. And then you're like, wait, what just happened? And that's kind of like when reality hit. And it's like you know what? Like life is not. I mean, there's a lot of things in life that um, determine how you end up doing. And I mean, a lot of it's luck. A lot of it's just circumstance or whatever. And so anyway, I realized that I was like, I'm not going to get rich at HP. And not only that, I didn't get the value of like Even the jobs I there, destroyed, yeah. <laughs> that I you know got made more efficient. Yeah, say. <laughs> exactly. And so, so around that time, I was like, okay, screw this. Like at that point, I was like, I'm out of here. And then I was like, well, I was either going to go to business school because back then everyone thought business school was a, was a path. And actually, to some degree, it, it kind of was because back then to start anything, you needed to raise venture money. Mm-hmm. And it was easier to raise venture money if you had either a lot of experience on the engineering side or, you know, like it was MBA VCs funding other MBAs. Right. So it was kind of seen as a path back then to get an MBA to become an entrepreneur. And mm-hmm. Today, you don't have to do that because mainly because the cost is so much lower of right. starting up. Right. Like, you know, like back uh, then, what did you need to start? Well, a back then is like, oh, to start any company. Well, first of all, certainly you needed a sun machine. Right, you need a, a box from Sun to run the web server, and you know that might be like half a million bucks or something. I mean, like just to get started, cost a lot of money. Plus, right. there weren't the, there weren't as many tools. So right? The kit was expensive. You buy, right. if you want so, to buy the box to play, just to put up a website with like you know like with a database on it, like people thought you have to have a million bucks at least, mm-hmm. right? And so nobody has a million bucks lying around. And to, so today, what do you need for that? Nothing. I mean, you know, five hours and <laughs> no, I mean, like you get your you get a free box, you know, free instance from Amazon, you right. know, whatever. It's like it's nothing. It's virtually free. Yep. Actually, when we started Hot or Not, when it first started taking off, it was built on a PC I got for free from E-Trade, I think, for opening an account with five hundred <laughs> bucks in it. It was like the dingiest machine, had no memory or anything, but it could run as a server, not very well, but it got us online, right? And the first thing we, we thought was like we need to get a sun machine, like when things took off. And so we got a Sun Machine. We were leasing through Rackspace, I think, at the time. I remember distinctly like hanging out in front of some restaurant in Palo Alto and Larry Page saying, oh, yeah, you should buy from Rackable, which was a, was a one U rack mount system company. And it turned out that like my neighbor, two doors down, was the guy, the guy who he was like number 20 at Google. And he was, a, he was like, the, remember they used to say we have a neurosurgeon on staff yes. or whatever? That was him. Mm-hmm. And he was in charge of scaling all their data center ops. And so he was handy, and he was like, yeah, guys, you should get... And like, this is kind of an untold menu. story about Google's, you know, one of the reasons why they were able to win and oh, scale yeah, so crazy. Absolutely. People don't talk too much about this, which is they were using commodity, cheap hardware, yeah. and instead of these expensive specialized systems that were harder to scale. Right. because the, the robustness of a system with a thousand machines was much better than one sunbox, you know, especially centralizing all your problems, you know, single points of failure right. in a one single box. And you saw them and that was like your Roger Bannister <laughs> four minute mile where you're like, oh, we can do it with that too. Yeah. If they're doing basically. it. Basically. And it was cheaper. I mean, like we didn't have money. So I, mean, <laughs> I was in debt from business school and my partner was a PhD grad student. So we didn't have money. I was, we were negative uh, net worth. So <laughs> okay. Hot or Not kind of was like Tinder 
in you know 2000, right? It was it was a website where people would submit their picture and other people would rate them on a scale of one to ten on how hot they were. And this was kind of in the day when everyone was scared to post their photo online. Like if you posted your photo online, it was behind a password protected page that you know was for Shutterfly or Ophoto uh, back right. in the day. Um, so the concept of posting a photo for other people to see that you didn't have full control over who could see it was completely foreign right. at the time. Forget about the rating. That was Yeah, forget about the rating. Yeah, actually, the rating actually, as an idea, came slightly second. It, it was originally about voyeurism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was addicted to reality TV back then. What were you uh, watching? Still am. Uh, back then, God, you know, I used to watch a lot of like Jerry Springer, Ricky Lake, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. The, the best part of that those days was I actually ended up going on some of those shows. <laughs> you were on Springer? Yeah, I was on like Ricky Lake, I think, or one of the, yeah, maybe one of those. As um, a guest, Sally Jesse Raphael, or something like that. Yeah, no, as a I was a guest judge. They they had people come out like they had the themes would be like my friend thinks she's hot and she's really not, and then like. They would come out and talk about it, and then I would come at the end and like, tell them their score. <laughs> anyway, um, so anyway, like, uh, so, so where did yeah. that idea come from? Post your photo online, and then you said you added later. Yeah, the, yeah. The so, the so then, we, so, yeah, the rating was like just kind of an add-on. Like, oh, it'd be cool to have a mechanism where like the audience could give data back, right? And make it. Um, but, there was this whole what they called the two-way web at the time. It was like conver- the web is about conversations, right? And so it was like uh, the concept that the audience could actually give response back was new. So you you're, you liked people watching. Right. But that's still, like, still, where did the lightning bolt strike? You know, actually, there's there's a backstory to all of this, which is that um, in the late 90s, there was this guy called the Turkish Stud. I don't know if you know about I've that, never heard of this. The guy, actually, I think Borat was based on him. I, I think <laughs> the guy who does Borat denies it, but it's so clear. Um, <laughs> there was this guy in Turkey who had a, um, a web page with pictures of him, like playing ping pong or whatever, and somebody, no one, I don't think to this day anyone knows who did it, but someone took those pictures and made another web page that was a fake web page, and it was like uh, he was he called himself the Turkish stud, and he's like, who wants to come to my country? I can invitate you, come have sex, you yeah. know, like it was, it was Borat basically, like oh come for sexy time, <laughs> right? You know? And uh, and 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 it, and it blew up. There was this company called Etor that kind of like um, jumped on it and brought, Etor was like, it was kind of like uh, the equivalent then of StumbleUpon, mm-hmm. I think. And um, what people, I don't know if people remember StumbleUpon. Which, Stumble yeah, which is the equivalent of, of uh, whatever like. <laughs> Reddit maybe um, today. It's, it's basically like, <laughs> it just you took you to, to random cool random things on the web because back then there wasn't that much on the web, right? right? So this company Etor made a big deal out of this guy and he ended up on Letterman and whatever, you know, like in within a month, he had like you know a million page views or something like that, right? And we just my 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 friend and I just thought it was fun. My co-founder Jim Young, he and I just thought it was hilarious because there were all these companies back in those days that were raising tons of money, throwing lavish parties and stuff like that. And couldn't get a tenth of the who page couldn't views. get any page views. <laughs> and 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 you know this is when like Steve Jurdson was starting to talk about viral marketing with Hotmail, and we're like, this is so fucking awesome because. This, it was just the irony, right? It's like this guy is like, he didn't even do it. Someone did it to him, and right. he ended up like on Letterman and getting all these hits that all these other people were dying for. We just thought it was funny. And so we kind of had in the back of our mind, like, someday Let's I want to yeah. build a Turkish stud. Yeah. Right? So it wasn't even about money. It was about, I want to do something that goes viral. Right. If you want to make that first million, you've got to do your homework. Our sponsor, Monday.com, is back to help you prepare with another weekly dose of the Monday.com motivation. Got a goal? Get yourself a roadmap and do research before you dive in. An educated brain is like a roadrunner holding knives. It's really fast, it's hard to stop, and it's a little dangerous. 
Visit monday.com backslash pod backslash million to get 10% off and see how their color-coded platform can prepare you for success. It'll increase your workflow, manage your workloads, and get you one step closer to getting that money. And I was obsessed with this guy. Like I had, I remember I had like a, I had him as my screensaver, <laughs> like him playing ping pong. And so, uh, so when we were talking about uh, the just various ideas one time, this voyeurism and whatever came up, and then and then like oh you know then you could rate them or whatever. Like hey this could this could be our Turkish stud, right? And so actually when we built it. You know, like Jim was a grad student. I, I was working at a friend's company at the time. We were just killing a lot of time, and we were ready to set up in this house to do a startup. So anyway, Jim just disappeared in his room, and like three or four days later, he came out. He's like, okay, it's done. You know, <laughs> uh, today you could build it in like literally like 20 minutes. Yes. <laughs> right? But back then, like you had to do a lot of extra stuff, right? right? And so he came out. He's like, it's done. And then and it I, lets you upload a photo, yeah. And click through other people's yeah, photos, yeah, basically. And then I tested it that weekend. Um, I was just playing with it. My dad came. And what into what the do you room. mean by you tested it? What do you? I was testing? just looking at it. He's, right. like, he sent me a link. I didn't look at it for a couple of days. And then I started looking at it a couple of days later when I was at home on the weekend. My dad was looking over my shoulder. He kind of walks in the room. He's like, "Oh, what are you doing?" You know, and like I was supposed to be like working and <laughs> or doing, actually doing this, by this things. point, actually no, I had quit my job. I'm sorry. So I was unemployed. So. I, now I remember. I was I was supposed to be looking for a job, probably. So I lied and said, "Ah, this is just something Jim's doing." <laughs> right? And so he, he, my dad, starts playing with it, and then I see him. He's the first person I ever saw get addicted to rating swipe girls, you know, click, click, the, click, yeah, which is hot or not. Swipe, swipe, swipe. Yeah, and we just had like I had just taken photos from Excite Personals to like seed it. Yeah. Um, and so he was like, "Oh, she's hot." She's like, "Oh, he's not I'm like, "Oh my god!" Like this is my dad, he's like sixty year old Asian engineer who's supposed to be asexual, except you know the three times he had sex right, with my mom which was you know immaculate conception. Siblings. Exactly, <laughs> practically. So I was like, "Holy crap!" Like this is pretty interesting. Uh, so then we launched it like a couple days, like that Monday. I remember Monday or Tuesday. I think it was Monday. Uh, and I just we launched it by sending it. I sent an email. I, I put myself and. Uh, Jim on the site, and then I sent a link to our pictures and sent it to a bunch of our friends. And I was like, I remember it was like, uh, f- it was 42 people, which I counted it later, but you know, because 42 is a magic number, right? Yeah, From, of course. But uh, anyway, so I sent it out, and like, uh, it just immediately took off. And I think by the end, that was at two o'clock in the afternoon, and by the end of the day, we had had like 30 something thousand IP addresses in our logs. Distinct, wow. You know, unique. And so that's probably, you know, back then a lot of people went through proxies or like AOL and a lot of these dial ups use proxies. Or, so it was probably like, you know, 100,000 people or more. And uh, we're like, holy shit. <laughs> like that, that was crazy. So people were just sending it to their friends. Yeah, people were just sending it. And like within an hour, we had, you know, had like 20 or 30 submissions. And so I was like, oh, okay, we can take off the fake photos now because like, you know, that was because mo- it was so slow because it was running on that one machine. I think like, one like after you voted, it would um, it would take you to the next page view where it would tell you the score of that person and then show you someone else to rate. And that that the turnover of that page was about twenty seconds. Like <laughs> people were doing it and like clicking away to like going to their other browser window, doing whatever, and then coming back. <laughs> but people is is amazing. Like people were just doing it, and um, so we're like, holy shit! Like this is nuts! Like um, it just took off like crazy, and. Um, so by the end of the week, I think we were doing like a couple million page views a day. And this is all still running on the laptop, or at this point, no, you start I'll get to it that. Up. But yeah, yeah, like there was there were all these crazy stories about how we scaled it. But like, it got to two million a day, and then like within two months, like we were in People Magazine, 
I think like we were one of the top 20 most trafficked websites on the web at that time. You had your Turkish um, stud. Yeah, we had we beat the Turkish stud, right? right? You know the funny the funny <laughs> thing He has you as his yeah, screensaver. Well, you know the funniest <laughs> thing about that is that it turns out that the Turkish stud got popular because he first hit the scene because there was this um, woman at Salon.com. Salon was like an online magazine back then that was pretty popular. And there was this woman who was a writer named Janelle Brown. And she wrote about the Turkish stud. She made the Turkish stud happen, really, because I think that's how Etor and everyone else found out about them. Well, my friend was called me up. He's like the first day that we were running it. He's like, hey, I got a friend who works at Salon.com named Janelle. Can you talk to her? I'm like, okay, you know, like we'll talk to her, but like we have to remain anonymous. Because we didn't know if we were going like, to get in trouble for, or, you know, like people were going to be offended by this or whatever. Uh, and so he's like, OK, she said she'll talk to you anonymously. And then so I did. I was talking to this woman, Janelle, and she was interviewing me and she's clicking on the site while she's doing it. And then she's like and we didn't have that many photos on the site at the time. So she hit mine. But there's no way for her to know that. But she's like, wait a minute. Is this James Honk? I'm like, uh, Yeah. <laughs> so, how, how did she put two and two together? How did she put a because phone Because Janelle call? Brown was the very first person I met in college. She, her door literally faced my door in the dorms oh. uh, at Berkeley. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, she's like, James, it's Janelle Brown. I was like, because at that point I just knew her, his friend Janelle. Right? Right. So I was like, oh, my God, like, Janelle, <laughs> like, please don't tell anyone I'm doing this. Like, so she's like, okay, okay, no problem. I, you know, I said I, you'd be anonymous and I'll respect that, right? Wow. So, so she did. Uh, actually, but the traffic actually got so bad that first day that I called her uh, saying, hey, Janelle, like, don't run you. it. <laughs> yes. I was like, can you please not run it? Because, like, remember, like, we were running on a server that was at a time when we were hosting the photos and it was a thousand dollars a megabit per second. So I figured, like, at the end of that day or whatever, I was like, man, this thing's going to cost like the run rate was like, you know, fifty thousand dollars a month. And it was doubling every like whatever hours. <laughs> And, and so the, the trick with bandwidth pricing, like no one knows this anymore because everyone just goes to AWS and gets charged on throughput. But back in the day, like when you, when you pay for bandwidth, most carriers will give you, will bill you at the 95th percentile of your usage, which means you have 5% of, you can spike to infinity and right. you're fine, right? So that basically is a day and a half on the, uh, you know, in 30 days, right? So we had basically a day and a half of uh, 40,000 uh, to do as much as we want, but we were approaching that day and a half, and we're like, holy shit, this is gonna be $40,000 a month or whatever. Like, we were actually, we almost shut it down. Yeah. And uh, so I, I told Janelle, I'm like, or I asked Janelle, I'm like, can you not run this? She's like, I would love to help you, but it's a slow news day. <laughs> so, so she, you know, like now I understand how journalists work. You know, like she, uh, you know, they're on a daily, like they gotta put out something every day or right. whatever. And so I was like, oh, shit. So our solution was to that night we moved it to Berkeley because, like I said, my partner was a grad student at Berkeley. Right. So, so we like the university. We drove, I remember we drove to Berkeley at like three in the morning <laughs> and uh, we went to his grad student office and we set up the box. We you know hit it under his desk. We stacked bo- books in front of the box. Like it was just like this lone wire coming out from under his desk. That's costing the university that was, fifty thousand yeah, a month. Yeah, going to cost the university <laughs> and doubling. Like like I said, it was it was doubling like every like four hours. Anyway, we turned the ser- the site was down for a couple hours. We turned it back on and like we looked at the logs. Lot you know we tailed the log and it's like boom, boom. 
boom, 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 right? So like we're like, holy shit, like we because we weren't sure if it was gonna die once we turned it off for a couple hours or whatever, right? Anyway, so I remember we that was at like five thirty in the morning. We got it finally back up, and then we like drove home and like crashed. And then Jim got like a call from his advisor at like <laughs> nine or something. Apparently, like the, the IT guy at Berkeley like spit his coffee out when he saw the logs or whatever the the, the you know the knock management tools and uh followed the wire must have followed the wire <laughs> and it's like what the hell is this <laughs> luckily he didn't turn the box off you know actually i remember we taped uh, i took like a box of thumbtacks and took half the box and put it over the power switch and taped it <laughs> so like maybe that was a signal to them not to turn this box off but anyway uh luckily jim's advisor was a he was the dean of engineering at Berkeley, and he was also one of the co-founders of like Cadence and Synopsys. He was like a father of that, and he was also a venture partner at Mayfield Venture mm-hmm. Partners. So he was like a very entrepreneurial guy, right? And so he's like, okay, this look, wasn't a problem. This was an opportunity. Yes, to he. Well, in his wisdom, he saw this was an amazing thing. He's like, okay, look, I will buy you a couple of days, like, but you got it. You got to figure something out. Yeah. And so we did. So we ended up calling Rackspace, which at that time was a rinky-dink, very small company still, relatively. Uh, But they were the leaders in managed hosting at the time. And I just happened to know, you know, I looked at their About Us page, and their VP of Biz Dev went to Stanford Law School around the same time as a guy named Josh Becker uh, went to law school at Stanford. So Josh put me in touch with him, and then I was like, hey, listen, you know, like, we don't have any money, but I think we're a good poster child for you guys because that's their whole shtick is like you don't have to Smart. have money up front. Right. You can, they can scale you up today because they have machines ready to go. You know, like, because back then, if you wanted to buy machines, even if we had the money, it would take Time. a month right. to get the machines and to rack, rack them up them. and all yeah. that kind of stuff. So, so you said this like, is the best marketing money I'm like, buy. look, this is perfect. So they're like, okay, put a logo of Rackspace above the fold. Uh, we love what you're doing. We love the growth. Uh, and, I, and I basically said, look, I'm getting a ton of inbound inquiries about press. Like, I will mention you guys everywhere I can. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, perfect, let's do it. And to the <laughs> I mean, they didn't even we didn't even know how big how many machines we were going to end up taking. And they didn't care. Mm-hmm. They're like, look, just t- when you need m- new machines, tell us. And we ended up calling them every night saying we need more machines. Right. right? And they were like, yes, let's do it. Like, and, and we're like, we hadn't even worked out the. The terms. deal, yeah. Yeah, like there was no paperwork at this point. Things it was just moved, like, well, sometimes things move too this fast. Is, well, yeah, and this is how the web really was back in the day. Like everyone just kind of helped each other. You mm-hmm. know, like, you know, I think eBay hosted Yahoo, or maybe it was the other way around. But anyway, th- you know, or maybe it's Netscape hosted eBay. Anyway, everyone used to help everyone. And so, yeah, so they're like, yeah, don't worry about it. Like just get big and then we'll figure it out later. That's what we did. And, and so it grew and grew. So and what um, did the traffic get to kind of at its peak? Gosh, let me, I'm, it's, it's been so long ago. Like, I think we were doing about maybe like 15 million, 10 to 15 million page views a day. And you have to remember, like, today, like, that might not seem as big. But at the time, it was, it was hard for things to grow as fast as they do because there was no social media. So, like, when things got passed around, they were passed around by email or, you know, it wasn't as easy as just clicking a button, mm-hmm. which, you know, and, you know, any bit of friction reduction can increase the liquidity of any system by, like, 10x, right? Yes. So, like... Things did just did not grow that fast back then. And it just, I mean, like today, like it would have probably been like insane. Anyway, it was insane by those days standards. And like I said, in, within two months, I think Net Nielsen or whatever had us as like, we were bigger than ESPN. 
you know? <laughs> and it was just like two guys like in their underwear, like in their living room, like coding, right, right. or whatever. And uh, yeah, so anyway, we cut that deal with them. And, but we still had the problem of like, they gave us, when we finally worked out the numbers, they were like, okay, you can have a year. They gave us a half a year of free hosting and then a quarter of like uh, 50% off and then a quarter of 25% off. And then, we, and then in a year, we would have to start paying. So, but that was more than generous, right? That, that was just amazing. But we did know that, like, in, in, in at that point in time, like, we're like, okay, we made our Turkish stud. We want this thing to keep going. But Jim needed to get back to his dissertation, and I right. needed to go back to finding a job or whatever. We didn't think that there was any business model in this. In fact, we stuck ads on the site when it first started. I remember we were going through, like, 24-7 media or something, like some, some ad network back in the day that was pretty big. The CPM at that time was 0.25 cents CPM. Which means for every thousand page views, we got 0.25 cents. Right. You know, today it's like dollars. Right. Like that, right. <laughs> and so it basically wasn't enough. It was barely enough. Like it wasn't going to cover anything. Right. So we still needed to figure out how to like make this thing last. So the first thing we did was that's when we stopped hosting photos and we started sending people to Yahoo and saying, hey, just send us the URL of the photo on Yahoo and let Yahoo basically pay for this. Right. And th- that cut the bill by what? Uh, well, I mean, that that killed almost all of the bill. Yeah. Right now, we just have to pay for the machines. But basically, all of the cost was basically all of that 50000 in doubling was bandwidth for the pictures. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, you know, the funny thing is a month or two after we did that, Yahoo shut off all um, ability for anyone to host to, to use pictures that were hosted by them. But somehow we got whitelisted. <laughs> and, and, and like two years later, I was speaking at Berkeley, and uh, I, I met a guy who worked on, G- on GeoCities. He was your angel inside Yeah, there. basically. <laughs> and I was like, hey, listen, I don't want to you know, look a gift horse in the mouth. And like, right. I'm kind of nervous to ask you, but why, why are you doing this for us? <laughs> like we were, and they're like, oh, yeah, you know, like we love Hot or Not. We just didn't want to be the guys who killed it. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I said, people used to help people out. It was right. really cool. And, um, but anyway, we knew we had to get off of them. So the first thing we did was we cut a deal with Ophoto. You know, people were starting to get digital cameras at the time, and they were willing to pay a bounty, you know, a dollar f- for every user that has a digital camera. So what we did is we said, hey, if you don't have a digital camera, which most people at the time didn't, Go to GeoCities and Yahoo will host it for free. But if you have a digital camera, please go to Ophoto and they would pay us a dollar, basically. And they even paid us 25 grand up front. Again, really just to help us out. You know, there's there's a guy I knew named Mitch Brown who worked there who did BD. And at the time, the company was run by this guy, James Joaquin, who uh, he was CEO of Ophoto. He's now running Obvious Ventures with Evan Williams. Anyway, Zeman, James, awesome people. James loved it too, so they were really just doing it as a favor to help us out. And right. They didn't, they didn't really know us, right? But that's how the web was. And so, did it ever become a business, or yeah, what, so, what ended up happening? So we realized it had to make money because we needed to hire somebody to run the thing. Because clearly, like we weren't going to run it; we were going to go back to getting a real job or going back to finishing his Jim's PhD. And so, but you know, like the ads were started. You know, slowly the ads started making more money. It wasn't enough to pay for the bills. That's why we added the dating side of it. So we were the first ones to do like the concept of what you would call double opt-in dating. Like if you if you say you're interested in someone, then they can say they're interested in you too. You know, like what Tinder is today, they have swiped. We invented the, to my knowledge, we uh, invented the 
JavaScript auto submit radio button. Because back then, you remember, you had to hit submit every right. time you clicked a button. So Hot or Not <laughs> was clicks. the first one that, uh, yeah, it was two clicks. So we made it one click. We'd never seen it before, so we think we invented it, but you never know. Someone probably sure. did it. But like, but we had to figure out how to do it on our own. And But that's amazing, because now there's no rejection. It's like, if we, if yes, we got well, connected, it's because we both right, said we think right, each that, other that, are hot. Right, the, because our whole thing was, you, you have a highly liquid marketplace there is no rejection because you don't even remember everyone you said yes to. Right. And the other thing that it did was it protected the woman who, like, you know, because like, basically we saw Match.com and all these guys as basically pimps, right? Like, oh, look at my, look at my, you know, all these, you know, women or men that uh, you, you might think are hot. Like, oh, you want to talk to him? You know, like, oh, you got to right. give you gotta me $20. Pay. You got to right. pay, right? Like, and, and what that did is that, that what that ended up doing is, like, that led to lots of men paying and flooding women with messages and were, like, the women just look at their photo and be like, no. And then that guy just like got basically ripped off. And, and the women got, um, you know, the, signal, the, no the signal to noise was too low for the women. And so we thought that was just kind of an inefficient thing, right? And right. so we thought, you know, doing it, basically it was speed dating. Mm-hmm. Uh, and doing it as speed dating, bringing speed dating online was a good idea. Uh, and so that's what we did. And that actually, so we turned that on. We turned on charging for it. So the way it worked was like one of the two people, once you matched, had to be a paid member. Uh, so it was equivalent of, look, you, you, uh, you, a guy smiles at a girl in a bar. She smiles back. At the end of the day, someone's got to buy drinks. Right. right? And it's usually not the girl. But, so, and that's, that's how we had a payment model. So all of a sudden, like, as soon as we turned that on, I think it was like within a month, it was like by the end of that year, we were at like a half a million dollar run rate, which was enough to like hire someone and pay the cost or whatever. I mean, like actually at that point, the cost was zero because we had the free hosting or whatever. Right. But even, you know, if you have any, if you can find any model that can convert even a small percentage, of, I think we were converting, actually we were converting like 5% of our users were paid, including the women. And then by the end of it, we had optimized it to like 20% of people who joined paid, right? Awesome. It was enough to pay for everything. And then, you know, if, it doesn't matter. If you have scale, if you can even have any model that makes enough money, if you are a lean operation, you can definitely pay your salaries and have like a lifestyle business if right. you want, right? And so that's what we had. Basically, we were doing half a million and, uh, and it just kept growing like organically. And so all we had to do at that point, we were basically like we were the modern day equivalent of people who ran a laundromat. Like we just have to keep <laughs> these machines running and, you know, we have to install new machines to support. And, you know, like we have to like but we're just collecting quarters. And uh, yeah, so that so we kind of stumbled upon. It wasn't, you know, like it sounds much more intentional than it was. It was like uh, we kind of stumbled into having a very profitable business. And then you decide to sell the company at some point? Well, yeah. So we ran it for eight years. Around year three or year four, we finally started. We hired people. So what happened is we ran it for three years or so out of the house, just the two of us. And at that point, we were doing like three to four million in revenue. Almost all of it was profit. My co-founder started riding motorcycles, and at some point, I was like, "Hey, you know, like if you if something happens to you, that's probably not good for they're hot or not, you right. know." Like, and and also, like, frankly, he was tired, and I was not tired. to be a buzzkill, but well, I mean, like, when we were also like, look, I mean, at that point, we were running like he he was running ops on like a hundred machines, we, you know, so having to go to the data center all the time. The, running the ops probably got tiresome. He automated it as much as he could so he wouldn't have to go in that often. But at some point in time, we brought in a, a, f- a friend of his from high school, Greg Lynn, and we brought in Don Polak, who did customer service. Because that, by that point, I was doing a lot of the customer service emails and stuff like that. 
And um, so we brought her in. And so we basically had now a company. We had employees. And then we started hiring more people and more people. Not that many, but we hired a few more people. And then it kind of became like we, we had responsibility. We had employees and we had to, you know, you always have to manage people to some degree. And that wasn't really either of our thing. And so we both kind of flamed out on, on it. Um, we're just not very operational people, either of us. Uh, or that's at least I wouldn't say that we're not operational, but it's not the part we enjoy. Mm-hmm. And so the more people we hired, kind of like the more of a drag it became. And yeah, we both got tired probably year four, year five, I would say. And then I took a break and Jim took over and then Jim left and I took over. And then at some point we're just like, let's just we're just going to sell this thing. It was right before the 2008 crash. So it was a good timing in that sense. But we probably let it go for a lot less than it was worth just because it was a downturn. Right. Because at that point in time, it was doing like $6 million in earnings. Um, but both of us, frankly, were so tired of it. And, you know, our good friends had just started. Uh, Jim's really close with Steve Chen at the time from YouTube. And we watched them go from zero to $1.6 billion in like how long? You know, yeah. like a year. Yeah. And we didn't really see Hot or Not getting to that scale that quickly ever. Arguably, you know, you see what happened with Tinder, and maybe that's true. Although it's not clear Hot or Not would become Tinder because Hot or Not had the rating part, which made it grow, but could also hold it back from right. being pure play dating. But in, in any case, we were just like, screw it. You know, like, we both just wanted to do anything else. At that point, when I had left, I had started this um, thing with Al Lieb. He was a co-founder of Evite called Save My Ass which would send your girlfriend or wife flowers on a regular but semi-random basis. <laughs> it was one of the first uh, subscription clever, commerce. Actually. It was one of the first <laughs> subscription commerce things we'd ever, I'd ever seen. But then I had to go back to Hot or Not, so I stopped working on it. Al started Clear Slide, which took off, so, he had to, so we ended up shutting it down just because it was actually doing decently well. Like The scale was – but anyway, we, neither of us could deal with it. So, <laughs> yeah, we ended up selling the company mainly because we were just tired of it mm-hmm. uh, and wanted something else to work on. And so how did uh, – again, because – you make your first million. You made it basically during that while you were collecting quarters, like you said. Yes. You're running the laundromat. Dude, that was an awesome period of time because I was like – I was still in my late 20s. We had the system sending us stats like at noon and at midnight. And uh, that was mainly so we would know like how the system is doing, if it, if it had problems or not, You know, we, how many matches were made per hour, blah, 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 or up to that point in time. But it also had how much money we had made up to, uh, up to that time for that day. And so at noon and at, at midnight, I would basically get this thing saying, oh, today you made $10,000, $15,000 on a good day, like 20-something thousand dollars. And, and, you know, I would have to divvy it up and figure out my portion. But I was like, holy shit. Like, right. This is so, magic. Yeah, it's funny. It's like uh, I had a bunch of my friends always knew, like, when we – because basically I had nothing to do. I was just going out drinking with my friends all the time, <laughs> like almost like five days a week. And at midnight, it would be like – I remember, like, I think it was my friend Philip Kaplan – I just remember him like, you buying? Yeah. Right? Because like, he saw me pull out my phone at midnight, and I'm like, I'm buying! Yeah. <laughs> but it was funny, like, yeah, back in those days, like, no one was making money on the web. This was like the, like, the dark period, right? right? I mean, I used to like, go out drinking with Philip all the time, Evan Williams from, uh, you know, at that time he was doing Blogger. He was like, I, you know, I met Evan because I'd sent him a message saying, hey, like, he was about to like, practically shut down Blogger. Yeah. It was just him by himself at that point. And I was like, hey, you know, we, we had all this excess bandwidth at this point. So I was like, hey, if you want free, you know, photo hosting, happy to help you out, right? So that's how I met him, and that's that we became good friends. And so, like, I remember I would pick up Evan from his apartment in Noe and, like, 
you know, like he he didn't have much money at that point in time. So I was the, like the, I was like the right, you're the I was the baller, right? So <laughs> yeah, so like you know how times have changed, right? <laughs> like, yeah, now, this like, one's on you, right, Evan? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Basically, but I mean, like anyway, like those were really the days because the people who were still around. No one knew that we were going to make money at the time, and like we were in the, we were one of the few people who were making money. Most of the people were having a hard time, but uh, you know, like a lot of like really famous names were still like after the dot com crash happened, all of like the MBAs kind of disappeared, and the only people who were stuck around were like the people who were just like passionate about it. So many people that are like huge today were just hanging out back then, and it's like you know because people were like, oh, how do you know all these people? It's such a you know, like the Silicon Valley, there's so many people, you know, running around. Like, how do you know all these people? It's like, dude, like there were like 10 of us back then. We used to hang out. Right. right? Like, it's very so, simple. Yeah. And so, so you're kind of amazing in that you've been here so long. Uh, you built one of the kind of staple named products that everybody remembers uh, fondly. And since well, then, everyone over the age of X. <laughs> yeah, if you don't know, it's that's like the litmus test. Is yeah. like, were you were you really around, or are you just you know? Right. If I was single, I'd be like, ah, no, I probably can't date you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so, since then, you've transitioned to being angel investor. Uh, do you? Th- I mean, how do you think about stuff now? Do you think about getting back on the horse and starting a new thing? Do you love investing, and that's what you want to do? Uh, yeah, you know, like. So I got, I mean, I, did, I was never an angel investor. I just invested in my friends, friends yeah. right? And so, like, people, and, you know, like, like I said, people back then, we all, everyone helped everyone. So, like, we would invest in friends, you know, you, like, you would invest in people. You didn't even, they didn't even know what they were going to do yet, right? And, uh, like, it was pretty cool. Like, like uh, And how, what were the results of that? Because, you know, some people would say, invest in your friends, that's a crazy, stra- that's a crazy no, financial actually, strategy, you know but actually, it seems to do is, really well. Dip- I mean, it probably depends on how well you pick your friends, right? Like, <laughs> I stupidly passed on a lot of friends where I'm like, ah, I don't see it or whatever. And now in retrospect, it's like, I passed on Uber. I passed, <laughs> you know, like I passed on like all these things where like, I, I mean, literally I would be like a billionaire right. post-tax. If, like, you if, just, done, if you just, if I just index. invested in the people that I actually liked, you know, but I think it depends on how you pick your friends. Like all of the people that I enjoy talking to and being friends with tend to be like really smart and really quirky too. Like creative. Like people, yeah, like smart creatives or whatever that, um, like, like people who are like a little crazy, uh, but really smart and can pull stuff off, right? And so those people tend to do well. And so, I mean, yeah, I mean, I've definitely done pretty well, I think. I mean, actually, I've never really compared to other people, but I think I've done pretty well with my angel investing. Uh, but, you know, like, I mainly just invest in my friends, and I don't really see myself as an investor. And it's actually, to, in reality, being an angel investor I, is basically my cover for not working. <laughs> uh, because I'm basically mostly just hanging out at home with my kids. Uh, you know, like, I'm Mr. Mom. Driving, I'm I'm like my kid's chauffeur, basically yeah. taking them to school, taking them to swimming or whatever. But and, but and I, I think about that a lot. And, and the other person, the person who introduced us, Michael Birch, he's another person who I feel kind of oh, got yeah. out of the rat race. Yeah, he he definitely does things. He does lots of interesting projects, but he's not just saying, okay, th- you know, he sold Bebo for eight hundred fifty million. The next one's got to be a billion, right? He's right. not just endlessly right. in the rat. Well, race. Well, listen, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize anyone if they choose to be in the rat race and they if that's what they want that's what they want i i am all about everyone has to figure out what makes them happy and and the only the only advice i have to people really about this is look you only have to make yourself happy don't try to make other people happy live your life for yourself but be honest with yourself about what makes you happy because like society wants to tell you oh you should want to make a ton of money or you should want to like not make a ton of money and go meditate or whatever right. and i'm just saying you know, whatever is right for you is right for you. You got to be honest with yourself. 
But if you can be honest with yourself, go do whatever you want to do. Like I have friends who have to be billionaires and like, look, that's not my thing. But if that's what makes them happy, go do it. Right. Right. But for me, like, you know, like I always thought I would do something else again, but then I had kids and then like, you know, like how that, that can be like all encompassing. And, you know, like for me, I just realized like, you know, I built an app that was like a YouTube for kids before YouTube kids came out. I, I was like, I just want to learn to code again, and, and I made an iPhone app. And my son at some point was like, and I'm a, I'm a shitty coder, so I wasn't very efficient. I was always like coding until 4 in the morning, but the bus still comes at 7.30, so I, right. I was getting no sleep, and I was always grumpy, and I'm kind of like, it doesn't matter if it's a hobby. I'm always thinking about it, right? And basically at some point my son was like, Daddy, when are you going to play with us again? And I was like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> right, that got you. So, well, I mean, like at that point it's a choice, and I'm like, okay, fuck it, I can't do this. Like, I am so obsessive about anything I build that, like, the dad that I wanted to be, I wasn't able to be it. And, and so, so, so what's to me, the recipe I was like, for you now? What, what, what's the recipe well, that makes you happy? Listen, look, I, it's not to say that I don't love the idea of starting a company. And look, it's, and it's not for the money. It's for the adrenaline rush, right? Like, it's basically like gambling. Like, <laughs> this thing's likely to fail. It might succeed. It might win big if it, you know. So it is like gambling in a way. But, like, we're – and so it's a huge adrenaline rush when you start a company – uh, and the highs, that's why the highs are high and the lows are low. It's like being an entrepreneur is like volunteering to be bipolar, basically, right? <laughs> and so, you know, like, but I had to decide. And I said, well, okay, screw it. I'm, I'm not willing to sacrifice these things. So the next best thing is that, like, I can just angel invest more. And so that's kind of what I've done. And, you know, like, I, I think I've been pretty successful at it. Not as successful as if I just invested in my friends. That's kind of like my new strategy is like, right. okay, if I have a friend... Yeah, like like I have a friend who just pit, uh, pinged me the other day, and I'm like, you know what? I don't even need to know, like, right? Because we were we had a call scheduled, and I brought in a friend, and then I was like, hey guys, I gotta go take my kids to right, swimming, but I'm in. But it doesn't matter, <laughs> I'm in. You know, and the funny thing is, like, that's what happened with Odeo and Twitter with uh, Evan. I was like, hey, after after Blogger got sold, because actually Blogger before it got bought by Google, he was in trouble, and Nick Denton and I were both like kind of talking to Evan about maybe we could invest in it just to basically to bail it, it out, yeah, yeah, keep it going, and uh, ended up not happening because he ended up selling to Google for you know whatever million you know in two thousand two <laughs> or something like that, two thousand three, and so when that happened, I was like, Evan, I don't care what you're doing next, I'm in, right, and, and basically, and then when he when he um, returned the money for Odeo. I was like, let me know when to put back into Twitter, you know. And then there's a whole long story. I ended up not. Oh no! There's a whole long story about that. It's a tragedy, but uh, it's fine because uh, we're gonna make another podcast. My, yeah, it's another my podcast. Lost million. I basically <laughs> decided I I I wanted to choose friendships over money, and that's how that ended up. Okay, that's a well, long well, story short, well, and I don't regret that actually. So, but anyway, so. So, so the other, you know, we got we got to wrap up. But the one question. So normally I have these like five questions I ask at the end. Sure. But there's one that I'm really curious about for you because I see you as this incredibly um, creative guy who has a very humble, not saying you know it all and all, all that stuff. I'm just curious if you were 21 today. If I if I basically if I took all your money out of your bank account, but I gave you back years, and I, I say you're 21 today. You know, how would you make your first million today? What, what would you be, What would you be curious about? Right. What would you be playing in? What spaces would you be playing in if uh, if you were back in the game at 21 today? Well, listen. I mean, I think you can, as you alluded to earlier, you can make money in any space. So I'm not going to speak about what space. I mean, you should you should probably work in whatever space you're going to obsess about, and that can be, you know, like you said, uh, whatever. I mean, it could be anything. It doesn't have right. to be tech, but like whatever you whatever you're obsessed about. That's probably a good place to start because 
it's the people who like know a product inside and out that kind of can take it to the next level and right. do something innovative or whatever that'll kind of get you attention to, right. to make money. So forget about advice for us. I'm not going to say, you would but, do. but what I will say to someone who's 21 is this. After the crash happened, we actually got a buyout offer for like $6 million in 2000. It was for the four of us and it was vesting over five years. And it was very tempting. We thought about taking it. But then at the end of the day, we basically decided that was not enough money to sell out our youth. Because when you're young, you have no liabilities. Like, you don't have a mortgage. All you have is time. Right. You're but drinking the, five days a week. But <laughs> the reality is time is all any of us have. Even at my age, time is all I have, right? Money is like a man-made concept, right? Like, I have my time. And I will never have time with no liabilities ever again once I, like, get a family or have a mortgage or whatever. Like, so and at this point, we're, I was living a really cheap lifestyle. Like, it's also true of like lifestyle. Like, once you lease that car, it's hard to go backwards, right? right? So if you, I would say this, like, keep your life as frugal as possible. Don't, don't, you know, don't borrow money to live lavishly. You know, like, basically live as frugally as you can. Team up with people, co-founders, who also can live that lifestyle with you so you don't have to raise any money. Even though it's easy to raise money today, I... I would still probably start things without raising any money. Just, I mean, like, look, you got to live. So maybe you got to raise a little money to pay rent. You know, you don't have to be in Silicon Valley. You can be in a, you can be in an apartment in Houston. You know, paying two hundred bucks a month rent or whatever, or five hundred dollars a month rent. You know, as long as the two of you or three of you can live and and build, and then just keep keep building until you come across something that has traction, and then go scale it. Right? Mm-hmm. And look. Like I said, like nothing is like an HBS case. Like the first, like very few people I know have something hit on their first try. Nobody knows what's going to happen. You just kind of like meander and whatever kind of seems to be sticking, you like go in that direction. And so it sounds like what you would do is uh, you would keep your burn rate low. Yeah. You would live would frugally. Keep... You'd get in a house with a couple of friends and yes. you would bang out ideas that you were just curious about yes. or interested in personally. I would, personally. Like if, you know, like we, I had the benefit of like we were living in gyms parents they had like an investment house and uh so we were i was living there rent free uh no actually no i was paying him rent actually like really nominal rent <laughs> and then when hot or not took off i was like dude i'm not paying you rent anymore <laughs> he's like okay <laughs> i'm like this is gonna be big like, right. i'm not paying you rent um but uh to the extent you can keep your rate your burn low and just keep building the story the, the lesson to me is not save money the lesson is value the time and yes. make sure that you're spending every year of your life the way you want to be spending it. And one of the ways to do that is to keep, you know, get that reserve capital right. so that you're not going to go trade your hours for dollars right. I mean, endlessly. Look, 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 I'm, I'm probably an extreme example of this argument. Look, I have enough money where I don't have to work anymore. I don't have any fiscal constraints, but I'm still not able to do this because I got my kids and I'm choosing to do that instead. So, you know, like, so it's money is not not the only limiter out there. And so when you get older, you're going to, you only accumulate liabilities in life unless you're willing to like, you know, just abandon everything, which is, you know, like not, you know. Different strategy. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, like like I said, people can do whatever they want for themselves, but like that's not my strategy, right? So life is not easy for everyone, you know, equally. And so like everyone has their own challenges on that. But like I said, if if you can get a job at one of these companies, go work for a while, save that money, don't increase. Don't live like you're making that money, and then go do it, right. and do it with a friend because it's very, very mentally hard to do it alone. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, yeah. James, uh, it's been an awesome conversation, man. I really appreciate you. Yeah. You coming out? It's great. Great seeing you again. Great talking to you again. And I think a lot of people are gonna 
both enjoy the story of Hot or Not. A lot of people won't even have ever heard of it before. Yeah. So this will be the first time they people hear I about it. People I can't date if I'm single. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like, that's like the line. <laughs> <too young. laughs> and then and then I think what you, what you said at the end here about uh, about valuing your time and and making the choice that makes you happy and not playing by other people's playbook. I think that's a great great message. So appreciate you coming on, man. All right. Thanks. Awesome. Bye.